the Murder Minute podcast contains depictions of real-life true crime stories. Some details may be disturbing, and listener discretion is advised. This is Murder Minute. I'm your host, Mrs. Smitty, and today is Monday, September 6th, 2021. Today on Murder Minute, the story of one of the first mass shootings in American history. But first, your true crime headlines. QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley has pleaded guilty to a felony charge for his role in obstructing the Electoral College proceedings on January 6th. Chansley was among the most recognizable figures of that day, mostly because of his unique outfit, consisting of a fur hood with horns attached, a red, white, and blue painted face, and a bare tattooed chest. He has continued to make headlines since his arrest, first by going on a hunger strike in a bid to get organic food in jail, and again for giving an interview, for which he was later rebuked by the judge in his case. Chansley was originally charged with six federal crimes, but pleaded guilty to one of them as part of a plea agreement struck with prosecutors. As part of the agreement, he will pay $2,000 in restitution for damage to the United States Capitol, and prosecutors will seek a sentence of three to four years behind bars. His sentencing has been scheduled for mid-November. Next, an update from the ongoing sex crimes trial of disgraced R&B singer R. Kelly. The minister who officiated the wedding between the then 27-year-old Kelly and the late singer Aaliyah, who was 15 at the time, testified in Kelly's ongoing criminal trial. 73-year-old Nathan Edmond, an ordained minister, testified that he officiated at the wedding ceremony, which took place on August 31, 1994, and lasted about 10 minutes. Both bride and groom wore matching track suits, according to Edmond. Edmund also testified that he was asked by R. Kelly to sign a non-disclosure agreement after the wedding. He did not sign the document, but gave his word to the singer that he wouldn't speak publicly about his involvement in the wedding. Despite receiving numerous interview requests over the years, Wednesday's testimony was the first time Edmund had spoken about the 1994 wedding, and he stated that it was only because he was forced to by a subpoena. A Los Angeles high school teacher was arrested last week on multiple felony child molestation charges. 52-year-old Jason Bissell is accused of alleged ongoing inappropriate sexual conduct while he was employed at Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. Bissell has worked at the school since 2006. A spokesperson for the school told local news station KTLA that they would not be commenting on the case, but were cooperating with the investigation. Bissell is being held on $710,000 in bail and is scheduled to appear in court in October. Those were your true crime headlines. After this break, our main story. Since late in the 20th century, mass shootings have been a somewhat regular occurrence in America. On average, we see about two dozen every year in schools, churches, nightclubs, and private homes. Many of them are carried out by the same sort of perpetrator. Most are young, white, and male, and many have either been diagnosed with a serious mental illness or shown signs of one. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of a mass shooting that took place on this day more than 70 years ago, at a time when mass shootings were all but unheard of. It was 1949. 28-year-old Howard Unruh had spent his Labor Day evening at the movies in Philadelphia. He had planned a rendezvous with a man he had been secretly dating for a few weeks, but missed his date after traffic made him late. He stayed for the double feature and then headed back home to the Kramer Hill neighborhood of Camden, New Jersey, where he shared a three-room apartment with his mother, Frida. Howard arrived home around three in the morning and realized that the fence he had recently built in the back of his property had been tampered with. Somebody had removed the gate. 
likely his neighbors, Maurice and Rose Cohen, with whom he'd had an ongoing dispute over the yard. This would be the final straw for Howard. The young World War II veteran had a long list of grievances with his neighbors. After seeing combat in Europe during the war, Howard was honorably discharged from the military. He returned home and briefly enrolled in pharmacy school at Temple University before dropping out a short time later. Unemployed and fully supported by his mother, Howard split his time between shooting guns at the target range he'd made for himself in his basement and fixating on the ways that he believed he had been wronged by many of his neighbors. In addition to the feud over the fence, Howard also had been harboring grudges against several other townspeople over real or perceived slights. There was a shopkeeper who he believed had shortchanged him, the neighbors who complained about Howard playing his music too loudly in the evening, the tailor who Howard believed had told others about Howard's homosexuality, a barber who had dumped trash in his yard. All of them, Howard decided, would pay. Howard spent that night planning, fuming, and finally drifted off to sleep. His mother woke him around eight in the morning and served him a breakfast of fried eggs and cereal. At some point after breakfast, Howard went into the basement and retrieved a wrench, which he held over his mother, threatening her with it. Frightened, Frida Unruh ran from the house and to a neighbor's. Howard collected his gun, a 9mm Luger he'd purchased from a gun shop in Philadelphia a few years earlier, along with some ammunition, a tear gas pen with six cartridges, and a six-inch knife. And he set out on a walk through his neighborhood. It was 9.20 a.m., and the streets were awake and bustling with activity in Howard's neighborhood. He cut through the backyard and walked out onto the 3200 block of River Road, where he first encountered a bread truck out making deliveries. Howard shot at the delivery driver but missed before turning his attention to the shoemaker's store. He walked inside and shot the cobbler, 27-year-old John Polarczyk, in the chest. Polarczyk fell to the ground and Howard shot him again, this time in the head, before turning and walking back out of the shop, all without saying a word. Next door was the barber shop, where 33-year-old Clark Hoover was giving a haircut to six-year-old Oris Smith, whose first day of school would be the very next day. Howard walked up to the little boy, who was seated on a carousel-style horse while he got his haircut, and shot the six-year-old in the head as his horrified mother looked on. Howard then fired another shot, striking and killing the barber. Still silent, Howard walked back out onto River Road and fired at a boy looking out his window and at the tavern across the street. Both of these shots missed their targets, but Howard reloaded and headed for the drugstore, which was run by his neighbors, the Cohens, who were the main targets of his massacre. As Howard was walking into the pharmacy, he encountered a 45-year-old man named James Hutton, who had come out onto the street to see what all the commotion was about. Howard shot him as he was walking out of the pharmacy, then stepped over his body and walked into the drugstore. Maurice and Rose Cohen saw him coming, and they ran to their apartment upstairs to try to escape from Howard. Rose hid their 12-year-old son in one closet and herself in another, and her husband ran onto a porch roof. Howard shot three times into the door of the closet where Rose had hidden, then opened the door and shot her in the face. He then walked across the apartment and shot Maurice's mother, Minnie, as she tried to call the police. After Minnie was dead, Howard followed Maurice onto the porch roof and shot him, sending him falling to the pavement below. Howard then walked back out onto River Road and began firing at unsuspecting motorists passing by. First, 
was a 24-year-old World War II veteran named Alvin Day, who had slowed down at the corner where Howard had killed James Hutton just minutes earlier. Howard leaned into Day's car and fired, killing the man. He then turned his attention towards a car stopped at the red light, firing through the windshield and killing 37-year-old Helen Wilson and her mother, 68-year-old Emma Matlack. Helen's nine-year-old son John was shot in the neck and would die at the hospital the following day. Unruh's next shop would be the tailor's shop, owned by Tom Zagrino. Howard didn't find Tom there, but did find his wife, 28-year-old Helga, who pleaded for her life as Howard shot her at close range. He walked out of the tailor's shop and shot a little boy playing in his window, who Howard mistook for the neighbor who had once dumped trash in his yard. The boy, just shy of his third birthday, was struck in the head and killed instantly. Howard Unruh would spend his last bullets on Madeline Harry and her teenage son, Armand, whose home was nearby Howard's apartment. He wounded them both before running out of ammo and retreating to his own apartment. In his 20-minute walk, Howard had killed a dozen people and seriously injured four more. As he holed up in his apartment, a crowd gathered outside. More than 50 police officers surrounded the two-story stucco building and began firing, though there were numerous civilians in the line of fire. As the shooting continued, a reporter from the Camden Evening Courier looked up Howard Unruh's phone number in the local phone book and gave him a call. Almost unbelievably, Howard answered. The reporter spoke with Howard as bullets poured through the shattered windows of his apartment, asking him how many people he had killed. Howard responded that he didn't know because he hadn't counted them yet, but it looked like a pretty good score. The reporter followed up, asking Howard why he was killing people, to which Howard responded that he didn't know, but he needed to go because a couple of friends are coming to get me, he said. Minutes later, police lobbed a tear gas canister into the apartment, causing Howard Unruh to finally surrender. He was taken into police custody and whisked off to an interrogation as furious townspeople called for him to be lynched on the spot. Detectives questioned Howard for several hours, during which he took full responsibility for the killings and relayed details of his massacre in an emotionless and detached manner. Sometime during this interrogation, investigators noticed a pool of blood forming under Howard's chair. It turns out that he had been struck by one of the bullets aimed at his apartment, and that bullet was still lodged in his upper thigh. Howard was taken to Cooper Hospital for surgery, the same hospital where one of his victims was recovering from his injuries. Surgeons were unable to remove the bullet, and the next day Howard was transferred to the Vroom Building for the Criminally Insane at Trenton Psychiatric Hospital, where he was voluntarily committed. Psychiatrists spent weeks interviewing the killer, sometimes administering truth serum before their interviews. Truth serum would later be determined to be unreliable, causing patients to mix fact and fantasy together. And in 1963, the Supreme Court would rule that truth serum confessions were unconstitutional. As for Howard, on October 20th, 1949, a Camden County judge find a, signed a final order of commitment, determining that Howard Unruh suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and was too mentally ill to stand trial. His parents were ordered by the court to pay $15 a week for his treatment, and Howard remained in the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital for more than six decades. In 1993, he was transferred to a less restrictive geriatric unit where he would spend the remainder of his days. He died in October of 2009 at the age of 88, having never stood trial for his crimes. For a live discussion of this week's episode of Murder Minute, join me tomorrow, September 7th on the Stereo app. 
We'll be discussing this week's true crime headlines and talking more in depth about this week's story. And you can find that tomorrow again on the Stereo app at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern. I hope to see you there. Until next week, I'm Mrs. Smitty, and this has been your Murder Minute.